You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Jesus talks about hell more than he actually talks about heaven and describes it more vividly. So why did he refer to it so much? Well, simply, he doesn't want anyone to go there because as we've already talked about, it was created for the devil and his fallen angels. But once again, there is no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. Any talk of judgment, punishment, or eternal torment is either shushed up or ignored as crazy talk. Yet the reality of hell must be understood and shared with others. As Pastor Mike teaches today, God's wrath against sin is real. The punishment for sin is eternity in hell. Jesus himself discussed hell often in his teachings. He wanted people to recognize the seriousness of sin and the great gift of his salvation. If you believe and put your trust in him, you won't go to hell, but instead spend eternity in heaven with him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 14 for his message, Hell, Fire, and Brimstone. So let's grab our Bibles. We're in the book of Revelation, chapter 14. So this message is actually a continuation of Revelation, uh, chapter 14. Now listen, i got to tell you something. Some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you are some really hard stuff. This isn't one of those feel-good, you know, fuzzy, warm, you know, God loves you kind of a message, although he does. But we're going to be treating a subject that isn't often treated in Christian churches, and that is the judgment and the wrath of God which is indicated by our title, Hellfire and Brimstone. And so let's grab our Bibles, and if you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. And our text is found in verses 19 through 20. Now, this message, as I've already mentioned, is a continuation of our study here in the book of Revelation in chapter 14. In the way of an introduction to chapter 14, I suggested that we should view this chapter as a table of contents, describing most of the events that will take place over that period of time known as the Great Tribulation period, and taking us from the revealing of the Antichrist back in Revelation chapter 6, do you remember that? All of the way to the second coming of Jesus, which is depicted for us in chapter 14. Okay, so with that said, let's begin where we left off last time, And that would have been in the fourth vision. Remember, there are seven visions in 
all here in this chapter. And that also brings us to our first point, the wrath of God. Okay, let's go back to our text, verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, remember the image is set up in the rebuilt temple there upon the altar in the city of Jerusalem, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. And by the way, that mark, as we've already firmly established, indicates that the person who has taken that mark is a worshiper of the Antichrist. And I I gave you some possible explanations as to what that mark may be like. I think we decided that it may relate to some kind of a microchip that's placed under the skin or a vein scan. We're not quite sure. But nevertheless, there is this visible mark that indicates the person who has taken it is a worshiper of the uh, Antichrist. And then in verse 10, he himself, that is the person who has taken the mark, shall also drink of the vine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. That's where we get the title of this message from. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Okay, so here, verses 9 through 11, is the solemn announcement made by one of God's angels. If any man or woman worships the Antichrist, they are doomed. And listen, gang, salvation at that point, after taking the mark, is absolutely impossible. And the only thing that they have to look forward to is drinking of the wrath of God, which is indicated there in verse 10. And listen, God's wrath is for real. This is not a subject that's often addressed in Christian churches. But nevertheless, it is real. God's wrath is real. There is a hell, and there is a coming judgment. And this is one of the reasons why it's not often addressed in Christian churches, because people don't want to hear this. But nevertheless, it is true. In fact, Jesus himself talked about hell more than any other person in the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of quick cross-references. You might want to go back to them and just go over them. I'll highlight them for you and what they actually uh, tell us about hell. The first of which is recorded for us in, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 16, Jesus describes a great chasm over which none may cross from there, that is from hell, to us. Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25, tells of a time when people will be separated into two groups, one entering into his presence and the other banished to eternal fire. Listen, there's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. Now, Jesus doesn't only reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He also went on to declare it is a place of eternal torment. Luke's Gospel in chapter 16 and verse 23. Of unquenchable fire. Mark 9, verse 43. Where the worm does not die. Mark chapter 9 and verse 38. 
where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42. And from which darkness, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30. Comparing it to Gehenna, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, which was a trash dump outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. Listen, Jesus talks about hell more than he actually talks about heaven and describes it more vividly. So why did he refer to it so much? Well, simply, he doesn't want anyone to go there because as we've already talked about, it was created for the devil and his fallen angels. But once again, there is no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. Okay, but anyway, preachers who speak on this subject are labeled as fools. They're referred to as being out of date. You know, some say hellfire and brimstone. Come on, pastor, you got to be kidding me. And so we constantly hear of men and women mocking the idea of hell and a coming judgment. But we mustn't think lightly of these things. I mean, what do the scriptures say about the title of this message today? That is, as it relates to fire and brimstone. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 24. Concerning Sodom and Gomorrah, we are told, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, from the Lord out of the heavens. Consider the supporting statement that Jesus made in Luke's Gospel in chapter 17 and verse 29, when he said, But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Listen, I wish that I could stand before you this morning and report that hell is a place where sinners suffer for a little while and then they're burnt up never to be remembered again, or where hell is a place where people go and over a period of time they're given a second chance, and then after that period of time they actually get into heaven. But listen, there's not the slightest suggestion to any of these things in the scriptures. Isn't that true? And so folks, once again, hell is a real place. You know, interestingly enough, as it relates to the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, science itself, secular science, validates that event. That is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained upon it brimstone and fire, pointing to the ash heaps uncovered by archaeologists where the twin cities once stood, defining it as a cataclysmic event with biblical Uh, proportions. Well, listen, secular science, at least they got that right, right? But still, the skeptics scoff. But listen, one day they will know from personal experience that God loves righteousness and he hates wickedness. This is God's cup of anger being poured out here in a day when mercy has been withdrawn forever. Let me give you a cross-reference for this from the book of Psalms. In chapter 75 and verse 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink 
down. And let's go back to our text now here in chapter 14. I want you to notice the severity of this judgment. Go back to verse 11. What does it say there? Torment forever and ever from which there is no relief, no rest day and night. Now listen, this isn't my uh, opinion. This is what God's word declares. And listen, let me also add, forever is a long time. They'll be tormented in hell's fire forever and ever. They drank of the wine of the harlots, fornication. Remember, we've already been introduced to spiritual Babylon, that false religious system. Notice, uh, referred to there in verse 8 of chapter 14. And now they must drink of the wine of God's wrath. That is, that false spiritual institution that had had an intoxicating effect upon the masses. That uh, ecumenical uh, false church that will exist in the last days that encourages and and advances the, the worship of the Antichrist. And yet, interestingly enough, let's go back to our text. I want you to think about this. And yet, with all of the severity of this judgment uh, that is uh, being referred to here in this chapter, there's a fair warning to Earth's inhabitants. And, and think about that. that. That's just who God is. Because God's judgment is always tempered with mercy. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. Here in this one chapter, first of all, you have the angels preaching the everlasting gospel, verse 6, warning people about the impending judgment. Then also in chapter 14, you have the announcement that Babylon, the great religious system, has fallen, verse 8. And then lastly, you have the declaration that anyone who worships the Antichrist will be thrown into the winepress of God's wrath, verse 19. And we'll get into that, verse 19, in just a bit as we continue through uh, chapter 14. But the point is, is that the judgment doesn't fall before the warnings. And if the individuals that are alive and upon the earth at this time heed the angels' warnings and denounce the Antichrist, yes, they will probably be put to death instantly, right? But it will be far better to lose one's life on earth, to go to heaven in triumph, than to suffer the torments of hell forever and ever. But you know, the people upon the earth, they're not going to receive those messages. I mean, mankind is just incorrigible. It just you know, speaks to us about the depravity of the human heart. So what about you? Let's bring this down to personal terms. You know, what's going on in your life? What are you allowing to go on in your life? When you're away from the body of Christ, other Christians, how are you living your life? Are you living in relationship to the truth that there will come a day of judgment where you'll have to stand before a God? So, a significant question. Well, anyway, that brings us to our second point, and that is, blessed are the dead. Okay, let's pick up in verses 12 and 13 now. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right blessed, or oh how happy, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Notice the 
a reference to they're happy, that is, if they die in the Lord. That is, they die knowing uh, Christ. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Okay, so some will not worship the beast, and for their refusal, as I've already mentioned, they will be killed. The word patience, notice, go back to verse 12, can literally be translated endurance. So in other words, there were some who remained loyal to the commandments of God and loyal to Jesus. And so God will have his faithful ones in spite of the threats and the torments of the Antichrist during the tribulation period who will wait patiently for him, that is God, to vindicate them. Now verse 13, notice there in verse 13, the Antichrist may have put these faithful ones to death, but notice the way that God responds and he says, they will be blessed. Now I also think that I should mention that happiness is not something that is usually associated with death. So why, you know, are those who have died, uh, why should they be considered uh, happy? Well, whoever died in the Lord, as I mentioned before, are blessed. Remember Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5 and verse 8, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now think of all of the things that are going on during the tribulation period. Think about those who haven't taken the mark of the beast, the way that they have to uh, suffer. And so death for them is a release. They're they're released from all of that uh, torment and strife. And now they're in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 8, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the 16th Psalm, in verse 11, there the psalmist tells us, in thy presence, that is in the presence of God, is fullness of uh, joy. So they shall find rest. Notice there. They are uh, absent from the body of suffering, out of a world where they are despised, where they are threatened, where they are persecuted. And verse 13, they shall find rest. And notice, in contrast, the wicked shall have no rest, day or night, forever. We're told that, notice there also in verse 11. Now that brings us to our third point, and also the sixth vision that's recorded for us here in this chapter, and that is the earth purged. So if you're taking notes, write that down. The earth uh, purged. Okay, so verses 14 through 16. Let's read that. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, who said on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who said on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was uh, reaped. Okay, so this is another judgment scene. The judge is none other than the Son of Man, Jesus Christ our Lord, and he is about to sweep the earth clean of all evil 
as he visibly returns to earth. So this is a picture of Christ's second coming, which we will get into and address uh, in great detail in chapter 19. Remember, the events here in chapter 14 do not follow a chronological uh, order. And remember, in the introduction to this morning's message, I suggested that it should be seen rather as a table of contents spanning over the entire seven years of tribulation. Now, it has also been suggested that these verses comprising the sixth vision here, shown to John, who is the recorder of this book of the Bible, are a preview, in brief, of the Battle of Armageddon. And the equivalent is described for us, the equivalent record and scriptures are described for us in the book of Joel, in chapter 3, in verses 11 through 16. So I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. In the book of Joel, in chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. Let's go ahead and read that. And again, I think that this is a prophetical announcement concerning the battle of of Armageddon that takes place upon Christ's second coming. As the nations of the earth gather into this valley for one final battle against the Lord. And in verse 11 we read, Joel chapter 3, Assemble and come, all you nations. So notice it's the Lord driving them in, right? And gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now that word Jehoshaphat in the Hebrew is literally translated judgment. So the idea here is that God is going to judge the Christ-rejecting nations. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down. Notice it's sort of the same picture that's recorded first in Revelation chapter 14. Come, go down, for the wine press is full. The wine press of what? The wine press of God's wrath. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Remember, when Jesus comes back the second time, he touches down on the Mount of Olives there in the city of Jerusalem. And during the millennial reign of Christ, Jerusalem becomes the capital city of our our Lord. And the Lord sets up his throne and he rules from the city of uh, Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Remember, during the latter three and a half years of the tribulation period, God supernaturally protects and preserves a good portion of the nation of Israel in the rock city of Petra. In my father's house, where I long to be, oh my The book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension. Yet each one has a purpose and meaning. This book takes you into the end of the world, a time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil. It's a time that may be sooner than you think. 
And that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener, and we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House. There's a place for